Hi, and welcome to another episode of the ULI Toronto Electric Cities podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Warson. Next year, from May 12th to May 14th, 2020, the Washington, D.C.-based Urban Land Institute, along with its local district office, will, for the very first time, host its annual spring meeting here in Toronto. And that means that thousands of ULI members from across North America, Europe, and Asia will be descending on Toronto to learn more about our city and how it has rapidly emerged as a global metropolis. And the majority of those ULI members will touch down at Toronto's Pearson International Airport, the largest airport in Canada, and now, as of 2019, the most international airport in North America, with services to 163 international destinations. Arguably, Pearson is the most vital transportation hub in the country. It handles nearly 50 million passengers and half a million tons of cargo per year while significantly contributing to our local and regional economy. And as it looks ahead to rapid population growth projected for the Toronto region over the next number of decades, Pearson has developed an ambitious long-term expansion plan, including a massive new multimodal transit hub that would connect numerous local and regional transit lines right at the airport's doorstep. To talk about Pearson and its importance in making Toronto a global city, I am so very lucky to be joined by Howard Eng, President and CEO of the Greater Toronto Airports Authority, and most recently voted the Ontario Chamber of Commerce 2019 CEO of the Year. So Howard, it's a real pleasure to speak with you today. Hi, Jeremy. Well, thank you for coming to give us uh, an opportunity to talk about transportation and urban design, urban building. Well, before we get into that, um, uh, before we get into talking about Pearson's impact on Toronto, can we just spend a little time to talk about your long and very successful career in the industry? I mean, you've announced that you'll be retiring in 2020 Correct. after 40 years in the business. Um, so can we go back to where it all started? Tell, tell me how you got into this industry and, and the path that led you to where you are today. Well, Jeremy, do you have 40 years for me to talk about my 40 <laughs> I years? I have 40 minutes, maybe, I think. <laughs> okay. So uh, as is uh, the case uh, uh, in those days, imagine this 40 years ago. So I was, when you're a young man in those days, you always want to you look, at the, look up in the sky, see the plane flying. You always want to be, well, I want to be a pilot. I want to be a fighter pilot. It seems to be so much fun. But, you know, when you're wearing glasses, I've been wearing glasses since I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. In those days, a career as a pilot, when you wear glasses, is, is not going to be very successful. You don't even get through the first hurdle. So I was very fortunate. So I gave up that career mm-hmm. by thinking, oh, well, I'll go on and learn about science, learn about business. Uh, but when I finished, graduated from university, I had an opportunity to, uh, got approached an opportunity to, to join, at that time, uh, Transport Canada, which runs all the airports in Canada, to be one of their trainees. Hmm. Uh, and luckily, I got into the airport side. So, uh, What did you train in university? Well, I trained, I did uh, a degree in science, okay. and then I did a degree in business, mm-hmm. uh, thinking... Uh, but as I said, it turned out what's really good is in this career, you actually use both. You use it every day because it is aviation is science. It's very science-based. And 
running an airport is a business. Sure. So, so, but anyway, going back, so, so, and I tell young people all like that all the time. I was thinking, okay, I'll join uh, the airport uh, as an administrative trainee, hopefully get about three, four years, uh, learn a bit about aviation, and then get the aviation bug out of, you. Out of me, and then I can, I can then uh, go into business and make real money. Mm-hmm. Well, f- after four years, I was working at the Edmonton International Airport, and to make the, the 40 years story short, it went from four to 40 years. It is a fascinating industry. It is constantly changing. Uh, there's never a dull moment. Uh, and so it just, uh, so I tell young people nowadays, if you join the aviation business and doesn't want to stay, get out before you reach four years. <laughs> because once the, what, they call, what we call the jet A fuel, once mm-hmm. you get that in your blood, you'll never leave. So, at some point though, now you were um, you were a senior executive in Hong Kong, or you were running the Hong Kong airport. Is that right? I was the uh, executive director of all the operation and commercial activity. Yes, mm-hmm. and eventually you came to Toronto to mm-hmm. the Greater Toronto Airport Authority. What was it that drew you here? What, why why Toronto? Well, Canada is home, right? So, like I said, I I immigrated to Canada when I was twelve years old with my parents, and. And I went to school here, married my wife, uh, who still who I'm still married with, uh, who was born in Edmonton, and started my career, university, and my career there. So I'm very fortunate. In uh, 1994, I think I was approached uh, by a colleague I knew who was working in Hong Kong, and asked if I have any interest in uh, in working uh, at the new airport, which the old airport was run by. By the government, the new airport that was under construction. So I went back and consult my wife. Very important on this major decision. Consult uh, the better half, and we kind of come to the conclusion: Why not? It's something new, something uh, fantastic to opportunity to actually start an airport from scratch where they're building it. So off I went. Uh, again, thinking I'll be there for four years, right? It's a, a bit of an expat, mm-hmm. uh, get an opportunity to work at a different different country. Uh, even though I was born in Hong Kong, I left so early. Uh, never thought I would, you know, do four years and come back to Canada. Well, again, four became seventeen, hmm. and uh, we settled, raised some of our kids there. But the kids moved back to Canada. They love Canada, so. So I was quite happy, and then all of a sudden, I think it's twenty, obviously twenty eleven. I was approached and say, uh, "There's an opportunity. To, uh, they're looking for a CEO in in Pearson, in Toronto, Pearson. Would I be interested?" So I thought, "I'm pretty happy in Hong Kong, but Canada is home." Mm-hmm. So I came and and did the interview, and very fortuitously, uh, I was successful, and so here I am. And here you are. That's right. Okay, well, let's let's look back at the history of the airport itself. I mentioned in my intro that the airport handles uh, nearly 50 million passengers a year, um, and that now, for the first time, uh, the airport has more international connections than any other airport in North America. Um, that That is really quite a feat mm-hmm. compared to the early days when Pearson was just a small airport surrounded by farmland. So what were some of the key milestones in Pearson's history that got it to where it is today? Well, as you say, um, 
uh, it was, uh, I think it's Malton Field, this tiny little little strip. The Malton, oh, Malton. Yes, yes, that's right. That's when we started, I think, uh, a municipal airport. Uh, I think two things uh, transformed this, this, uh, uh, this airport and this region, actually. Uh, so, so again, very much uh, tied in with, with the Urban Institute. Uh, an airport is here to serve the city. Obviously, if the city or the region grows, the airport must grow with it. So, so one thing is, uh, you can almost map the growth of this region to to saying it generates a growth for the airport. But something else I think happened, and and I can't remember the year, but it is technology. Hmm. In the old days, it used to be the aircraft, uh, the range of the aircraft, how far they can fly is limited. So Vancouver would be the base for the Asian flights, mm-hmm. and Toronto would be the base for the European flights mm-hmm. it's because of the range of the aircraft. Along come the 747, especially the uh, 300 and the 400, and now the 777s. Um, an aircraft now can take off from Pearson, and f- in 14 and a half hour later, you'll land in a city where I worked for for 17 years, Hong Kong. Sorry, 14 and a half hours, I think. So that often transformed this airport from just serving Europe to serving the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the drivers. So the drivers, the region is growing. It's a financial center, a, a, a regional headquarter or headquarter for banks and, and, and businesses. So they need to go to the world. They need to reach out and... and, and either get investors from around the world or they are investing in business around the world or they have business around the world and they want to go and visit them. And then along comes the technology that allows it to happen from this site. So with those two transformations, this airport has grown and has grown to become one of what we call a mega hub for, the, for, the, for Canada, serving not just the region now, not just Canada, it's actually serving North America. We're pulling traffic from, especially the northeastern part, or even, you know, uh, I, I tell people uh, some of the statistics we have is that roughly every day about 300 people would come, passenger would come from Los Angeles, transferring through Pearson to go to Europe. And, and Los Angeles is a big hub. Mm-hmm. But I guess without connectivity uh, for the city that they can't get to from L.A., uh, you, the option now is not just JFK, but also Pearson. So I think those the technology and the growth and the demand of, 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 of air travel in this region are the two transformative things. So when the, you're saying the technological transformation, was there a, a, was there a decade where that really started to get noticed? Uh, probably, I would suggest in the last, uh, probably starting about 15 years ago, but I think it took a, a bit of a, 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 it took a while before it really finally materialized. So I, I, if you remember in some of those days, about 15, 20 years ago, there was a lot of turbulence in the aviation industry. You got things like SARS, you got financial right. crisis, you have things like... Uh, Airlines were consolidating. They were this this uh, uh, low cost carrier coming in uh, deregulation. So so it took a while. Even though the technology is available, it took a while for the industry uh, 
to be able to grow and get the strength they need to take advantage of 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 the benefit of the technology. The other thing I think uh, is also transformative. Uh, but sometimes people say maybe a competitor. I don't think so. Is the is the iPhone or the new telephone technology? It actually people say, oh, well that substitute uh, and people will use that to communicate instead of a fly. What I think is it's actually complementary. That and actually and AV and travel has made the world smaller. We, we always talk about how the global village and it is, but I think that really has happened because now, you know, a touch of a phone, you see and talk to and see people around the world. But not just seeing the people, you see sights. And sometimes that makes you want to go there. <laughs> right? right? When you see it, you actually, we're human beings. We just don't want to see it. We actually so want you to see it, you feel, feel compelled yeah, to want to travel. You want to there. feel, you want to touch it. Right? Mm-hmm. So you're compelled to travel. And then with the deregulation, if travel has gone down to it. You know, I remember days when it was a big deal, very expensive, you dress up. Nowadays, people very casual. Right. You just go. But I think what's really great about these two technology, both the technology and the ability to reach further and more fuel efficiently get mm-hmm. there, like the aircraft now is much more fuel efficient than it was before, and, and and therefore allowing people, and the price point is right to allow people to go there, I think made the world smaller. I think the benefit from that is we understand each other a little bit better. There, there may be hiccups, but when you go there and see the people, you touch the area, you see people. People had the same around the world. That's so. That's that really gets into my next question, and there's definitely a little bit of overlap with this next question. But it's really about the fact that airports like these are they're getting more uh, more complex, they're getting bigger, but they're also getting more integrated with city building. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in the context of city building. Um, how has the thinking behind airport planning changed over the years in, in global cities like like Toronto and Hong Kong and elsewhere? Uh, I think I think more than anything else, it, it used to be you think of airport as just a node of transportation, which is really what it still is. Uh, it's a place where people change from whatever mode land they're walking or whatever mode they do to get to an airport, then. Uh, uh, change into an air mode to go and fly around the world. But I think the the benefit of that connectivity, the benefit of being able to reach out, and business is global nowadays, whether we like supply chain are global nowadays. And because of that, I think all of a sudden people start to recognize there is the integration between a city mm-hmm. and the airport. The integration is not just the people using the airport. The integration is that the business that comes through, the tourists that come through, all that activity, the investment that comes through, goes through and into not just the city but the region. So so I think with that, the planning has to be more integrated mm-hmm. between a city and the airport. I, I always said people's final destination is never an airport. You may start your journey at the airport, but you're going somewhere. When you come from somewhere, you don't just come to visit the airport. Even I'm in the airport business. I don't normally just go and visit the airport. You're going on. So I think then for a city to leverage the benefit of an airport, 
they, we have to plan a way of how to get the passenger to the final destination, which is not the airport. And that integrated planning, I think, is critical to get a better for the airport and for the airport to better serve the community. Yeah, and that's that's sort of the the sense that uh, anybody in this industry gets, especially at least reading about the latest, um, as I talked about earlier, your plans for expansion, mm-hmm. this multimodal transit network. It 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 seems different. It seems um, really progressive minded for Pearson mm-hmm. to think about its connectivity with the rest of the region, whereas before it was really a destination and how do you serve those those mm-hmm. passengers. Um, are there other large international airports out there that serve as in- inspiration for what you want to achieve? Well, a lot of airports have, uh, and this is kind of the, the where we're following a bit is, uh, for example, Hong Kong, it was connected by rail. So it makes it much easier, uh, something like Up Express, right? You can go from the airport, to, to Kowloon or Hong Kong in 25 minutes. Takes all the hassle of the road, uh, the journey on the road. Places like Heathrow, Heathrow Express, going to Paddington Station, same as Schiphol. But I think where Pearson is unique is, is its location. It's very uniquely situated. How so? Well, most airports are at the outskirts of a city, which has its benefit. You create less noise issues and you're... And actually, there were thoughts of doing that with Pearson, but that's why some of you, I'm not sure you're old enough to remember, but Jeremy, but in the old days, there was land bought in Pickering. Oh, sure, I know. To, that, to, yeah. to, to move the airport. I think uh, the planning was good, but, but the thought of the, the collateral planning of things like transit, how do you get there? I think that that was just planning for an airport. Here's an example: planning for an airport, but not how to integrate with the community. So, it, so that didn't happen. But Pearson, therefore, stay where it is. But we are now surrounded by three cities. Mm-hmm. All have transit. All have transit that come to the airport. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we say. You think about it. We are not a spoke on a transit system like Heathrow going to Paddington Station, we could actually have the possibility to be Paddington Station, right? Because of the, uh, we're almost center around three communities, Toronto, um, Brampton, Mississauga. and Mississauga. So if we can get it all, hook it all together, won't it be great to allow passengers, ground transportation passengers to say, Yes, if I can get a direct route from one end of this region to the other, of course you'll take direct, just let you fly. But if you can't get there direct, and there's not that many bus systems of of, of transit, then perhaps you can come to Pearson and do a one-stop change, and we get you to your final destination. Hopefully, they'll encourage people come off the come off driving, come off the road, Mm -hmm. and make it easy for them to use transit. And that's the big plan that you've unveiled a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that going? Or I, my, my, actually, my my follow up question to that is how do you how do you engage with all the key stakeholders to make that that idea a reality? You're talking federal, yes. uh, provincial, municipal, regional, mm-hmm. and all the businesses. And uh, you know, it's it's a phenomenal exercise in stakeholder engagement how, how do you go about doing that well I, i'm lucky 
uh, I'm very fortunate. It's the same as I was very fortunate to come to Pearson at the right time in 2012. Uh, where for about the last eight years, it has been the airline industry and the, uh, and, and the whole business world has been very positive. So growth has been phenomenal. Like I said, we grew from, when I arrived, I think it was about 31 or 32 million passengers. And the last, by end of this year, we'll have over 50. So that's uh, 18 million additional passengers in eight years. So I was very fortunate to be at the right spot at the right time in terms of airport growth. I mm-hmm. also think I'm very fortunate to be at the right time, at the right spot to talk about transit. Uh, because actually I was, uh, we were part of a civic action. I think I was part of that group when I first arrived, just trying to understand what's happening. And I hear a lot of people talking about, they not necessarily talk about transit, but they talk about how their staff, their workers are spending a lot of time mm-hmm. uh, commuting to work. The goods are tied up on the on the uh, on the roadway. Right? Yeah, you have this. Uh, here we are in your office, and you have this little card. Five. Did you know an employee at Pearson spends close to five hundred hours a year getting to and from your That's uh, right. work? But it's not just employees at Pearson. I think I'm hearing that. I think everybody's realizing that. A prime example, I think, of that is that we now have a whole generation that's saying, I want to move back downtown. I want to live closer to where I work. I don't want to spend that kind of commute time, which actually has been a very positive transformation for, for part of, of, of Toronto, where now it used to be everybody, you know, the, we, we were saying in the old days, the sidewalk will roll up and everybody go back to the suburb. Now it's a very vibrant, mm-hmm. exciting place. But I think that's, that transformation, that, that people who say time is more precious to me than, than sitting in a car, I think, again, that is the kind of thing that I think the, the urban planners, but even politicians are taking notice. They start hearing it. And so, like I say, I was fortunate. You're right. It seems like a task that, well, how do you start? Right? But what I find is very receptive. You know, you got people running for for mayors in the region, talking about transit. You get the provincial government very supportive talking about transit. And now the federal government re-election, I think last time, you also hear a lot of talk about supporting mm-hmm. transit. So that has been why I say I'm lucky. It made the job easier when, when I think the populace recognize there is a need for better and improved transit. So everyone is on board with the idea conceptually Obviously, making it happen is is a bigger uh, feat. What do you think will be the biggest challenges to to, to realizing that vision? Well, I think that I I think I don't look upon it as challenge. I think transit is coming. I I, I think I think you can only build that many roads. Yeah, and, and I have staff that work here. You know, this example of the five. I have staff that we just hired. Who, uh, who would say, I, you know, I, 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 I take the Upper Express every day if I can. And, so, and we have a shuttle bus from here to the terminal building. So I sit in the shuttle bus and get to chat with some of the staff. And, and some, some of the newer staff, I said, oh, how, how long have you been in Pearson? Oh, the, you know, been here for four months. How do you like it? He said, well, I love it. But he said, thank God you have the Upper Express and the shuttle bus. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, why? He said, well, he said, I don't have a car. I'm living 
around downtown. I don't have a car, and I don't ever intend to own a car. Like, when I was growing up, that's a foreign concept, right? When, when we were, I, was, I remember when you're 14-year-old, you're working on a part-time job, trying to save some money so that at 16, when you get your, your driver's license, you buy a $300 jalopy, and you're on your way, mm-hmm. right? Nowadays, there are people that are saying, I don't own a car, and I don't think it's my lifestyle to have a car. I think people have to, planners and and government has to address and react to that new reality that's coming upon us. That people's view of what's important to them is changing. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think uh, uh, everybody is getting on side. So how do you make it happen? Well, first, getting everybody aware is very important. So that is, we are committed. We were working with uh, Metrolinks and we'll support uh, financially some of the the cost of, of designing mm-hmm. and bringing that transit here. Uh, but more importantly, I think, and I've said that one time at a, at a Chambers um, uh, uh, luncheon meeting, I said, people ask the question, so how, how, how do we, how can you make sure transit priority? I said, well, we're business people. We gotta think of transit not as a subsidized service that government has to provide. If that's what is needed to make a business viable, that's what's needed to make sure our workers can get to work, make sure investors can come in, make sure cargo can move through the region. Uh, I ask people, how many of you uh, have ordered from Amazon lately? You, you, you ask that in the audience, a lot of people put up their hands, so how do you think it gets to your home? Well, yeah, Amazon fly it to an airport, but that last bit is come by a truck, and it's being stuck on 401 like everybody else, everything else is. So I think that part of it we need to address. So what I said to them is, if we think of it as a business, as something that's needed to make our business strong, then how can we as business contribute to that? equation mm-hmm. and not wait just wait for governments to fund and, and, and do it. So to me the challenge is mobilizing the business to do it. So what are you what are you suggesting then in terms of mobilizing the businesses to to be active in this what would be an example? Well an example is us. We around here we, we have what we call a a collision around this what we call the airport employment zone. So we got people from Humber College, we got businesses around here on airport, off airport, and we're getting together and say, how can we talk what is needed here mm-hmm. to provide not just rail transit, other transit, and how can we talk to government? How can we not just talk and say, can you do it? How can we put a plan together how that could happen? And at the end, I still say, and, and I have encouraged businesses like us, like what we're doing, we might have to put some money into it. Right? There are examples of uh, Hong Kong is a good example. Maybe it's not completely transferring, transferable. Their metro system is 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 funded and it's making money, and they make money through the value they bring to the property around the station mm-hmm. and the activity that actually happened on top of the station. Because when you put a transit node in, people want to live yeah. closer around. They're putting up 
the value of the product. So maybe the businesses benefit from it. Maybe we as a business that benefit from that note need to contribute to some, not just to the building, but the sustainability of that line. Make sure it's maintained, it's, it's, it's upgraded so that people will continue and want to use transit. So what, when, do you, when would Pearson like to see this, this multimodal <laughs> transit hub and, and everything else that's built around it uh, up and running? Well, we, we have been talking to various level of government. Uh, I mean, obviously, the heavy rail transit is, is up to, you know, I run an airport. I can't, I really don't know how to, 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 to start a transit system, but we've been talking to Metrolinx. Uh, like I say, we already partnered with Metrolink to do studies about uh, about uh, bringing some lines into here, and we'll continue to do that. Um, we we have already started what we call pl- uh, conceptual design of the multimodal transit station uh, to ensure that we safeguard the property mm-hmm. so that that can happen. But then now we're working with the. That's back to where I said the two, the three level of governments to say, okay, as we all understand the priority, here's our input as to how and when and what. Uh, I, I hope, I mean, I, I hear the provincial government, they announced transit is one of their priorities. Uh, we'll be again meeting with the federal government. So hopefully in the near future, there will be announcement about, about priority lines. And then, but I don't think we just need to realize we're also the other approach we're looking at. How can we work with transit providers, the buses and so on? Are there ways so that uh, anytime you do any rapid transit or light rail, that takes much longer. A bus is quicker. Maybe we can test out some of in the- In the interim. In the interim. Test out some of the viability of those lines by using buses. So let's just, I just want to talk a little bit about Pearson's impact on the uh, the economic prosperity of Toronto region. Um, you know, the cargo shipments, half a million per year. Mm-hmm. There's this employment mega zone um, that surrounds, and I, I think it's the second largest employment area in, in uh, the Toronto region. Do you want to just... Actually, it's the second largest in Canada. In Canada. My Amazingly mistake. enough, when I saw the statistic, it was amazing. Um, so... Do you want to expand on how Pearson plays a role, a key role in in, in advancing Toronto's economic prosperity? Well, actually, I I, th- I would say, uh, with the growth of, of Pearson as a mega hub and the connectivity around the world it has, and into North America, we have flight to almost every city in North America that has a population over one hundred fifty thousand. You know, so. Pearson actually not only benefit this region, this province, it actually provides economic benefits to the whole of Canada. An example is, um, you know, uh, people appreciate in Asia, they like the seafood very fresh. Right. Right. So uh, apparently, the, uh, the la- about four or five years ago, they I think there was uh, a surplus of lobsters uh, that was uh, in in. In, in Halifax, so the price was very good. And the, the Canadian uh, lobster uh, industry was able to sell federal lobster to China, got them interested in North American lobster. So how do you get them there? They need to be fresh. So initially, they were shipping them through Halifax to here, from here, over. Uh, 
So there's the networking effect, right? So here's the case of we, a business that, that is very local initially, or North American, has now gone global. And it's through the connectivity through Pearson. But the value of that is not just the connectivity, or just it now started that business and started interest in China to the point now that in the summer, actually, I was last told by this CEO there, Air China fly freighted directly to Halifax hmm. to, to pick up the goods. So, so the economic benefit of this connectivity is not just, as I say, for the region, but actually for Canada as a whole. A lot of, and we help every, any airport that want to try to get flight to anywhere they want in the world. But based on sometimes if your population is not or the demand is not enough, but business in some of those areas still need to go through the world. Mm-hmm. That, that's why we will try, how do we facilitate it as Pearson, getting people either by road, by rail, or by air through, through Pearson and go to the world. So I think the economic reach of having this mega hub is not just, just benefiting locally, but also benefiting all of Canada. Mm-hmm. What about Pearson's role uh, in supporting Can- uh, Toronto's cultural diversity? It's you know one of the most, probably the most diverse city in the world, um, but also in terms of immigration. Uh, there is you have another there's another brochure I saw your entrance to the uh, to the office um, over 200,000 new Canadians arrive in Canada through Toronto Pearson every year uh, which is a really nice stat do you want to expand a little bit about Pearson's role in, well, in shaping it, our uh, immigration it, well, it is like everything else connectivity right at, at the end if you as we welcome new immigrants, and we need them. I, I just heard the premier of, of, I was just at a session with him, where he said, we don't have enough people to work, to do the jobs we need to in order for the province to grow. Right? He said, I welcome any immigrant. And as a matter of fact, he said, he's been talking to the federal government, can you increase the quota for immigrants coming to this region and this, because uh, of the growth? So obviously, air is one of the mode to bring them in. But how me- you know how meaningful this is? You're talking about that new Canadian. About four or five years ago, we actually worked with, um, and I forgot the agency, where, where, where they actually do a Canadian citizenship swearing in hmm. for, for, for new residents for, for Canada, for this region. And we actually hold it right at the airport. Mm-hmm. And, and then as part of that, normally they ask them to describe a little bit about the experience of, of, of and why they want to be a Canadian citizen. Uh, and, and we will continue to support it because a lot of those stories was exactly what you said. This is where I first arrived. And their impressions are made here. Their first That's impressions right. of the city of this country is what they first see when they arrive mm-hmm. at Pearson. So is that something that you... that you take in, you take very seriously. You really, you really think about in, in terms of planning and design and and welcome a welcome out of sorts. Yeah, yes, we do. I mean, we welcome everybody, not just new immigrants. So, part of why, as you said, we've been pushing and striving to, to be uh, one of the best customer service airport in North America, uh, a large airport, is to be more welcoming to everybody that uses this facility. Uh, but yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, again, a story I can tell is uh, we were the airport that the first group of Syrian refugees arrived. And I 
you know, we, we try to, you know, create a place that, a, 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 what we call the midfield terminal. At that time, not it has been mothballed for a while. So we uh, get our, our staff going there and fix it up so that we can receive the, the, the first batch. I remember going there about two days before the, the, the first flight arrived. And some of our workers was there, uh, you know, they're, they're working and they some they're volunteering to get the place fitted up, ready to accept the new the, the new the refugees that arrived from Syria. I remember going up and saying, "Well, thank you guys for you know great job. Thank you for for doing this and, and working so hard. I mean, this was like seven eight o'clock at night." And I remember profoundly one told me, "Said, no need. We're all immigrants here once." Mm-hmm. This is our job. Yeah, that tells the story. Absolutely. I totally remember that. It, it was a very good, um, well, I, I guess a very good PR moment, for lack of a better <laughs> term, and yes. uh, for Pearson and for the country with mm-hmm. the, the Prime Minister and then Premier Kathleen Wynne uh, welcoming the first, some of the first uh, Syrian refugees. It was a very, it was a wonderful moment to see, and that mm-hmm. took place here. I just, I have one last question, a couple of questions. Um, just thinking about how big and how complex and how all the different factors you have to think about in terms of uh, uh, of an airport of this scale that continues to, to grow. Um, does, it, does it reach a point where it's almost too big to be able to deliver the level of service that your customers uh, come to expect? Or can it, you can, or is it possible to keep uh, maintaining that level of service? Well, regardless of the size. I don't think you have a choice. Uh, not only must you maintain, you have to improve every year because, uh, as you all know, as we all know, consumer expects something different every year. They expect you to get better every year. So, uh, no matter what size we are, we not only there's no such thing as being plateau and staying. We must continue to look at improving. But one of the things we have started doing, and it's very good, is it, it, that I, I said to people, uh, uh, this region, Southern Ontario region, actually. It's blessed. Blessed was we have twelve airports here, right? Uh, so you, each airport can provide a different type of service, mm-hmm. a different niche. So we have now formed a coalition, coalition of called Southern Ontario Airport Network. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's not a not a association. We I don't we don't you know each are owned by their own different community. But the idea is how can we as an as a system of airport here, help uh, ensure that the right offerings offer to attract businesses that either want to uh, work and locate in an airport, or that has that has uh, airlines that want to provide a niche product. For example, uh, there's an airline going from uh, Billy Bishop Airport to Niagara on the lake. Right? It's not something that Pearson would be would be able to. To handle because it's relatively small, and the passengers don't want to come to Pearson; they want to go to downtown. Mm-hmm. So this is what we call by uh, each airport finding its niche, the product that they can offer the region. And with that, then I think each of them specializing, uh, Pearson will remain the global international hub. But I think some of the other airport will take some of those the pressure, pressure, and also provide a different service for different demands in this in this region but the linchpin in hooking that all up is transit that's because at the end those airports serve the region Mm -hmm. so if you want to provide a special product to they also are trying to get 
customers from around the region to the airport. So again, we need to allow get more some of the vehicles off the road so that we can transit can will help in that area. Mm. Okay. Well, looking back on this, on all of this, this again, you're going to be retiring next year. Um, what would you say are your proudest achievements in your career or your time here at Pearson? Well, uh, one, I think the 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 proudest thing, the the, the thing that I'll remember most is that uh, a uh, the fifty thousand people here. The f- there's fifty thousand people working at the airport. Uh, uh, GTA, the the, the authority, uh, we only have fifteen hundred staff. There are there are f- over four hundred companies. And there are 50,000 people, probably 55,000 now, working at this airport, providing the service day in and day out that make the airport what it is today. It is, it is that 50,000 that I think about five years ago collectively want to be one of the best airports in the world. Five years ago? They- about five, six years ago. I think so. They all, it was sort of a sentiment that everyone... The sentiment. The sentiment, we want to be one of the best. It takes a little while because it kind of takes a little while to realize, I mean, it's kind of scary to say we want to be one of the best, right? I think we're demonstrating, we're improving servers, the momentum builds, and I think they collectively, uh, it's not something you put a bad, I think that the vision of saying we want to be one of the best in the world, and they are achieving that. Right, the fifty thousand. We, like I say, the last two years we voted uh, by passengers to be the best large airport in North America. We hope to be that again this year. So they are start. They are they are realizing through hard work that that uh, that they're going to achieve this vision, and that's one of the things I'm very proud of because. And people, you know, when, when they said, uh, give me the CEO, CEO of the year award, they said, well, I said, well, it's the, it's, it's the, it's the 50,000 that actually achieved that. And so, well, no, no, you need a conductor, right? You, I said, yeah, but to be a great orchestra, you need also, uh, you also need the orchestra. The conductor can't do it all. So, so this is, I think, the problem. Just maybe a sidelight to that is, uh, again, we have a volunteer we call it movement, actually. We call it, the, I'm Toronto Pearson. How can I help? It's not a training program. It's volunteer. We ask people, your staff working here, if you're willing and, and your employer is willing, we'd like you to volunteer to come in, sign up. We'll give you some information on what people normally ask, but you know, you're walking around, you've got a badge on, people naturally come and approach you. We'd just like you to, to, or when you see somebody looks confused, we'd like you just to walk up voluntarily, go ask, can I help? Mm-hmm. It's just as simple, can I help you? We have 32,000 employees signed up, volunteers. Oh, how about that? So to me, that is them achieving their vision. Hmm. So that's, for you, the, your, your proud achievement legacy is really connected with the uh, achievements and the contributions from the staff that work here, that's that's, that's, right. that's terrific. So, can you reveal what you what your plans are next? Well, uh, that, that's the most frequently asked questions that I, uh, both my staff and people at airports. One bit of advice I've been given by people, colleagues of mine that have retired, they said, uh, 
take your time. Take, take a few months and, and just figure out what you really want to do. They say, uh, as a CEO, there's a lot of time. Your days are planned for you. You're always running from one meeting, one, one interview to another. So, so sometimes you don't have time to think of what you really want to do. So he says, I will survive. Take a little while. Figure out what you want to do and then pursue it. And pursue it. Rather than trying to just fill your days because you have done that already. Well, I'm sure whatever whatever's next in your pursuits or your, the next chapter in your life, I'm sure you'll be very successful and it will oh, draw a lot of satisfaction. I really appreciate your, your time. It's been a real pleasure to meet you. Um, thanks again, and um, good luck in your future endeavors. Great. Thank you very much. Okay.